Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place podcast. I am your host, Terry Welbrock, and so excited to have with me today Dr. Erica Holmes, and I'm going to read her title so that I get it right, with Antioch University in Los Angeles, Director of Psychological Trauma Studies Specialization, which is just sounds so cool to me. So <laughs> welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm really excited about our conversation and all that we're going to touch upon today, um, which I'm hoping you'll talk about your book some. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, obviously trauma and healing. So yes. yeah, talk to us about what it is you've been doing. Well, um, over the years, I've been doing many, many, many things. Uh, but currently, as you mentioned, I am the Director of Psychological Trauma Studies at Antioch University in the Master's in Clinical Psych Program. So I spend a lot of my time training uh, would-be, soon-to-be, desiring to be therapists um, and teaching them and helping them, especially in my specialization, to understand the impact, the global impact of trauma on the person and how to be most effective with helping individuals to overcome that, to process through it, to walk through it, to uh, regain their life and, and control over their life. So a lot of my time is spent teaching and training. And I'm also a licensed psychologist. So I see a few clients uh, as well. Uh, I continue to see them. And so this has been uh, a passion of mine for over 20 years now. Yeah, beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I, I've worked in a mental health agency. My undergrad is in psychology. And so okay. it's just such a fascination. I had always planned to go on to get my PhD and then, you know, children and life right. detoured me. So <laughs> yes. I, I tell people I'll probably be that 80 year old that's working on her PhD someday. So <laughs> amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's on my, on my to-do list. <laughs> So yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I, you're my hero and I think it's wonderful what you're doing and um, yeah, especially about educating others about trauma and uh, as they go out into the, into the world to work with clients. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so necessary um, because a lot of people don't know that in the, the kind of history of psychology, studying trauma in the general population is really it's in its infancy. So right. when I was in school 20 years ago, I didn't have a course on trauma or psychological trauma. There was no textbook. There was not even a discussion of it in my classrooms. And so um, this idea of introducing students to now what we have, you know, a, a pretty robust body of knowledge uh, about trauma and also this recognition of the gravity of the impact of trauma is so very new. And so students who are in school now have uh, are really kind of on the cutting edge of understanding this work and graduating with an academic knowledge, uh, a foundation around treating people. Yeah. And I'm sure trauma-informed care is probably a part of that yes. uh, as well as, you know, I love that when Oprah talked to Dr. Bruce Perry mm -hmm. on 60 Minutes last year and talked about ACEs and yes. adverse childhood experiences and it's just right. how that has exploded onto the mental health scene. Yes, very much so. And if you think about 
you know, that the ACEs study was done in the mid 90s. And here we are in 2019. And when Oprah talked to Bruce Perry last year, which is 2018, people are just now beginning to kind of talk about that research on a broad scale, introducing that research to the public and also to practice. So that really tells you, you know, really gives you an idea of where we are in understanding trauma. It's like really, 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 a new field, a new exciting and necessary field. Yes, absolutely. I love ACEs science. I, I love hearing ACEs science and, and resilience and all of that stuff, yes. you know, bubbling yes. to the surface. And yes, I and, just, and po- I'm sorry, and, post-tra- and post-traumatic growth as well. Oh, yes. Becoming a term that is discussed um, yeah. and and out of, out of positive psychology that people are talking about amazing positive ways that they've kind of transformed their being as a result of experiencing trauma. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I love every aspect of it. And I could I could go on and on about ACEs. (laughs) And uh, did we connect through? Are you a member of ACEs Connection? So I am a member of ACES Connection, but we actually connected through uh, Luis at Echo Parenting. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember. That's right. Yeah. ACES Connection, I'm just, I'm I'm there every day just Mm -hmm. absorbing information and trying to pass it on through the podcast. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're a great uh, resource and repository of information. Most definitely. For sure. So, so yeah, your book, let's talk about that. I'm going to take a left turn here for a second. <laughs> yeah. Cause I want to, I want to make sure we get it in and, and talk about it. So my book is entitled dating with purpose, a single woman's guide to escaping no man's land. So a uh, very jazzy snazzy title. Uh, <laughs> But really, the book uh, provides an invitation for women to date differently and to think about relationships and themselves in relationships from a different perspective, really from an empowerment perspective, from a goal-directed perspective, from a conscious and thoughtful perspective. Um, One of the things that I argue in the introduction to the book is that uh, with uh, kind of like the women's liberation movement and the the rise of feminism, women have really been um, in the United States urged to be very proactive and determined in various aspects of their lives, such as, you know, seeking education and traveling solo and buying homes and being independent. But unfortunately, what I found in the United States is that women are often discouraged from having that same empowerment as it relates to relationships. That um, part of the empowerment oftentimes from women to women is this message of, you know, oh, you don't need a man, be happy being single, just love yourself, which I think are all great messages to a certain degree. Because what happens when a person or woman who's who's heterosexual says, you know, I really do want uh, an intimate relationship. I really do want a connection. Oftentimes that message, if there is kind of a purposeful move towards that, is negatively interpreted as desperate that you're chasing after uh, a man or, you know, or a relationship. And I argue that that's not 
that's not the case and it doesn't have to be a case the case and there's a difference between dating with purpose and dating out of desperation and and that as women we as we have put energy into achieving in all other aspects of our lives we have permission to put that same determination into seeking and cultivating the relationships that we desire and we should have permission to do that. And so yeah. that's what the book does. And it's actually a workbook. I must say that. I don't have workbook in the title. And so I found a lot of people who are pleasantly surprised that it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking at you. I'm talking to you and inviting you to reflect and inviting you to kind of go inward and gain insight into who you are. What are the things that you desire? What are those beautiful things about you? And what are those things that could lead, need a little tweaking? right? That might not help you to create the relationships that you want and use the information that you learn about yourself to set out, set out on a plan or goal to go after the relationship you desire. Beautiful. And I loved when I read, uh, I get maybe it was the media kit or the press release of it. it it's self-discovery, self-acceptance, self-empowerment. Yes. And what, those three things are just... Uh, I mean, well, all of us need to have that in our lives, obviously, but yes. Um, yeah. What a great way to look at it and great philosophy. Yes. Yes. And I mean, and we need those things to go into a relationship as a whole person. And I do address um, uh, chapter three in the book is dating after trauma. So I, I was do... just going to ask you, Red, you yes. stuck it out of my head. Do you address <laughs> trauma? Yeah. I sure do. There's an entire chapter devoted to the way that experience and I focus a lot on kind of sexual trauma and sexual violation right. um, and how that uh, can impact our our uh, behaviors in relationships and um, can sometimes depending on how that trauma is metabolized in the body, create kind of healthy beliefs about ourselves, beliefs about what we deserve um, and uh, beliefs about our own power in relationships and can kind of lead to unhealthy dynamics in relationships. And so I do address that. And there's um, like a brief kind of self-checklist to see um, for women to kind of recognize if I've experienced trauma and also what are some of the residual symptoms and how are those symptoms potentially uh, carrying over into my relationships to impact the outcome of those relationships. So it's yeah. in the book. That's powerful and so needed. I mean, you could probably write a whole book just on that chapter. <laughs> now you suck that out of my head. That's book two. So <laughs> I'm already on it. When I was writing that chapter three, and I was like, no, I need to have 10 chapters on yeah. this for women to really kind of delve into the impact of their past experiences and, and current experiences. So that is on the horizon. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and much needed again, I say that because I join a lot of uh, Facebook groups, social media groups um, of people that have experienced uh, trauma or, or, or have a CPTSD or PTSD diagnosis as a result of trauma. And so much of what I read, and um, I have a CPTSD diagnosis, so I'm there one 
to seek solace with others who get it, yes. but two, as a researcher, uh, mm-hmm. to try to understand what is it that people are seeking? What do they want? Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of it does revolve around relationships and they're, they're terrified to be in one and yes. close. Yes. But they crave it so much. Yes. I mean, and in truth, we're, you know, some psychological theories talk about us being programmed to attach. I mean, we are social beings right. and we crave connection and intimacy. We're, we're communal people. And so the, the one of the most difficult um, aspects to get over or to process through uh, when there's trauma is when that trauma is interpersonal or person to person, because it breaks that fundamental kind of connection and desire to attach to others, which is laid on a foundation of trust. And so when that fundamental trust is broken, it's very difficult then to see individuals or people as trustworthy, uh, protective, supportive, they begin to, you know, they kind of morph into these individuals that are dangerous and can be hurtful. Yeah. And um, it's, it's very difficult to re- restore that, especially if then you kind of get into a cycle where you're attracting perpetrators. Yes. So then you're re-victimized. Yeah. And that's, again, a fascinating subject is the energy, I think, that vulnerable people emit and give off. And then that tendency to be drawn towards, I mean, there's just, there's just so much fascinating psychology around it. Yeah. You know, someone who grew up in an alcoholic home and is an enabler, and, and then they're drawn to people who need to be fixed or, or who they think need to be fixed. I mean, it's just also fascinating. Exactly. Yes. Who needs to be fixed, who needs to be taken care of. So then you become the consummate t- caretaker for individuals who, you know, are um, in some ways, you know, that codependent relationship yeah. who need you to kind of facilitate or maintain their way of being. And, you know, so it's a very reciprocal dynamic and relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that if not recognized, you know, creates a lot of suffering from which people think there's no relief or that they cannot escape. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you talk about um, like narcissistic uh, relationships at all in the book or? Not in this current book. In the current book, I don't go into that. In the book that uh Hopefully we'll be out next year. I do go into um, that narcissistic co- and codependent relationships. Um, and also um, I go beyond, as I said, in this book, I really kind of focus more on sexual trauma. But in the new book, I'm also talking about parental attachment trauma. Um, oh. And yeah, and, uh, you know, children of alcoholics, children of narcissistic parents, and also that, you know, that kind of pairing in later adulthood. Yeah. And that's why I brought it up because it's another thing that I see a lot on, you know, people in these, in these groups is the being drawn to narcissists or, uh, and then, but having narcissistic parents and then they tend to then almost continue that trauma. Right. 
by right. seeking the seeking it out not i don't think consciously obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no no much of it is unconscious and also you know we we think about this idea of growing up in kind of chaotic non-nurturing um uh households then in adulthood one factor is that that dynamic although painful feels normal yeah. Right? So it, yeah. it feels normal. It's familiar. Like this is familiar. It's painful, but it's a pain that I know. And, you know, in some ways on an unconscious level, it becomes a pain that I expect. I don't, I don't really believe or even know that things could be different. Right. Yes. My sister level. and I have talked about that quite a bit because we didn't feel comfortable. Like we had to learn yes. <laughs> how to be, our chaos was normal. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so it's kind of like an unlearning and learning at a different, at, a, at the same time. Right. right. Unlearning the chaos and learning the comfort in quote unquote normalcy. Yeah. Right. Of healthy boundaries. Right. Like we were like, what's a healthy boundary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Awesome. My, yes. All right. So any myths or facts that you would like to clarify either around trauma, um, yeah, or relationships? Um, I think that um, one of the greatest myths, especially working with trauma and individuals who've experienced trauma and, and are in current relationships, is this age-old myth that time heals all wounds. Um when individuals experience trauma, uh, it is an assault on the whole person. And so that's psychologically, physiologically, spiritually, you know, emotionally. And, um, you know, there are one of the uh, most popular books on the market now is The Body Keeps the Score by yeah. Basil Vanderkolt, right? Yeah. So, um, and he's talking about how trauma lives in the body. And without that being processed through the body, it stays there. And so it shows up or can manifest in a number of ways. And so oftentimes, um, the impacts, the long-term impacts, especially when one has experienced complex traumatic experiences through childhood, time doesn't take that away. Uh, You can have a a reduction in some symptoms, but uh, the legacy of that lives on without it being recognized and processed and worked through. So that's one of the major myths um, that I like to dispel. And I'll go further to say, um, it's one of the first things that I found when I began working with women who've, most of my practice has been with, um, with women and adulthood has been with women. And um, I found that with a lot of women, um, they, who especially as, who had experienced childhood trauma or some early uh, uh, assault in their young adulthood, that many of them would come to see me in their mid thirties, early forties, and they had pretty good lives um, in various aspects of their lives. They had, you know, they were doing pretty well in many aspects of their lives, but relationally uh, they had uh, often had 
difficulty forming, creating, maintaining healthy relationships or attachments. And that's where their trauma history was showing up. And you mentioned it, a lot of them, there was a lack of an understanding of boundaries. Either the boundaries were so rigid that no one could get past them, or there were no boundaries at all. They were so diffuse that they, you know, the boundaries were completely invisible (laughs) and unspoken and unrecognized or unknown. And so they, and, and not, not knowing or believing that they deserved to have needs, to have wants, to, you know, create uh, an atmosphere where they're also taken care of. Um, and, and many were like, I'm 40. I, that happened when I was 10 or I, you know, my, my father or my mother left when I was 13, I should be over it. I thought right. I was over it. And, uh, it doesn't go away. It lingers, it manifests in these insidious ways. And so yes. I think that's really important for people to know. Yeah, for sure. And I say amen because I, I had horrific trauma in my childhood and then experienced severe panic attacks for the next 25 years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 2013 that I finally found my way to EMDR therapy. Yes. And it took four years, 98 sessions mm. to process that trauma. But as I've said before on the podcast, that it was that stored negative energy and all of that was in me. And, and I had to work through trauma by trauma and going back to them and, but finally being able to, yes, release that from my body and um, spirit and yeah. The, um, amazing. Attached to it. So yes. Amazing. And I applaud you for doing that work because it's not easy. No, it's not easy work. <laughs> no, there were, there were many a time that I, you know, cried the whole next day, but I, I, I I like to encourage people by saying going back into the darkness was terrifying. Mm -hmm. However, every time I walked out of that office, every time I stepped away from that therapist's office, I just felt a little more like, yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. touched on something today. We, we processed a little bit more and there was just a little more relief each time and made it worth going back. And I could not agree with you more. I see it over and over and over again. Um, Because in truth, whether you do it in a therapist's office or you never go to therapy, the pain still lives. At least when you're doing something like EMDR or some other, you know, type of psychological therapy that helps you to process it through the body, you're experiencing that pain with some relief. Every yes. time there's some relief. Absolutely. Um, and there's a light. There's a light at the end of that. So yeah. Yes. Amen. And hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna throw one of my favorite questions at you here randomly, right in the middle of all of this trauma <laughs> talk. But I, I, I come as the questions pop into my head. I'm like, all right, I'll ask this one. Um, so if you could meet anyone in the world dead or alive to help you with your continued journey and whether that's professionally or personally or both, who would it be? Ah, that is such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful question. Um, and if I had to pick one person, I think that, um, We kind of talked about her, but I really do think it would have to be Oprah Winfrey. I think that her, um, 
the fact that she disclosed the a lot of her trauma in childhood and um, the horrific experiences that she had in childhood and also her level of influence at this point could bring light to this subject and women and how women are affected. And also some of the struggles that she has now could help normalize it for women who are successful in their careers and icons and role models, but still struggle with some of the things that happened in their childhood could help normalize it and open the door for other, the every, for other women, the everyday woman who's walking around carrying that pain could help normalize it. I would love to meet Oprah Winfrey and I would love for her. And I don't know if she has, because I've never heard her talk about this, but I would love for her to try something like EMDR or some other therapy to work through and talk about her experiences in therapy. Oh, that's so, that would be wonderful. And (laughs) yes. I, I I really think it would be um, amazing uh, for women across the world to see that, um, number one, although you might have experiences of trauma that have impact you on various levels, uh, that you can kind of work through it and process through it and regain your whole life back. Yes. And um, I think that she would be a wonderful role model to, you know, kind of exhibit that and inspire women to uh, kind of uh, let go of the shame and any uh, responsibility that they're they might be carrying and saying, you know what, it's time for me to work through this, to work on yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think of her and when I, when I see her in my head, I just see her radiating just so much um, hope out into the world and the work that she's doing. And she wants this message to be of positivity. And, mm-hmm. um, and so to me that she's just a beacon of hope because she has experienced trauma, right? Whether she's processed it all or mm-hmm. not, you mm-hmm. know, we don't know, right? But she still is living this life right. of tranquility and and joy, and um, and that that truly, I think, is where the hope lies. That's what I try to do as well: is just yeah. say, "Hey, yes, I'm still on this healing journey," and I want people to understand that. It's not a destination. Right. I'll probably yes. always be on this healing yes. journey. I may yes. still be triggered by mm-hmm. things, you know, mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. But that that doesn't mean you cannot live this life that's filled with peace and happiness. Yes. Every there's there's something uh, beautiful in every moment. Yeah. And so, you know, and being mindful of that and embracing yeah. that and um, learning, you know, even thinking about, you know, a, um, Oprah having her best friend, you know, she and Gail. So she has, you know, connections and intimate relationships and for end of just her reach, her world's reach, I think for her to continue to, to spread this message up, you know, there's a lot of life to live along the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. Well, yeah, she's on the top of my list as well. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Awesome. So your dream job, are you doing it now or is there, would there be more to it if you could? 
I think at this point in my, I am actually, this is my dream job. <laughs> Interestingly enough, it's not, um, it was not a job that I envisioned uh, as I was kind of growing up and becoming an adult. Um, it has uh, had a life of its own and I have walked through doors that were open and I found my passion and this is it. I mean, working with the clients that I work with, training individuals to be able to help a multitude of people, being able to write books and being invited on your podcast to kind of spread this message. Um, this is, this is it. If I could, you know, I'm, I always say if, if there's one person who hears this message and it helps them in some way to take the next step on their journey, there's nothing more that I could ask for. Yeah. Nothing else that I would desire. Just one person to take that next step, their healing, that yeah. it to me is the ultimate kind of result or goal of, of my work. And there's nothing else I would rather do. That's beautiful. Someone told me once that just looking at it, what you just said is, was so beautiful and it shifted my whole perspective on things is by impacting the one, you're impacting all. Yes. Because yes there's just such a ripple effect that can then occur. And so really the focus should be on the one Yes. because each individual that, that, you know, we can help hold their hand or help along their healing journey in some way it is impacting all. And, um, and that to me is just it's such a beautiful way to look at it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And sometimes when you think about all and even like the, the magnitude of, of children or adults who experience trauma, you can be overwhelmed. What can I as one person do? Right. It could be so overwhelming. But when you think all you need to do is touch one and there's yeah. there's a ripple effect and you yeah. know, because people are connected. And so that even if they don't say a word, if there's a change in their behavior, the way that they see the world or the way that they move or they begin to set boundaries, it's going to impact everyone else that they come in contact with. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that that's, ripple. that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. Yes. I love yes. It. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so is there a way for people to get a hold of you? Do you have a website for the book? I have a website and my book is on my website. Awesome. So my website is it's doc Erica. That's I T S D O C E R I C A.com. From there, you can find my social media links. You can find a link to my book. You can find speaking engagements and contact information for me. If people want to contact me directly. Awesome. So yeah, so you do speaking too. That's really awesome. Yes. Oh, yes. And I'll actually be, um, we'll have quite a few events, but I'm based in Los Angeles and I'm actually speaking at uh, the Echo Parenting Conference, which is a conference this year focused on survivors um, in March uh, oh, yeah. in Los Angeles. So I'll be uh, one of the speakers there talking about um, intimacy and connection after trauma. So my oh, whole yeah, presentation will be about the impact of, of trauma, how that impacts relationships, the things that we've been talking about today. Yeah. I think Louise had talked to me and mentioned that conference coming up yes. uh, during our interview. So I just think congratulations on being a part of it. 
Well, thank you very much. And individuals can just Google Echo Parenting Los Angeles. It'll take you to the website and people can see the conference information there. Okay, wonderful. Go see you. Yay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. All right. So is there anything else? Let me look at time and see how we're, we're doing pretty good. That's awesome. <laughs> um, anything else that you wanted to touch upon that we haven't yet had an opportunity to discuss? Um, let me see. I guess the only thing that uh, I would like to reiterate is um, the, and you touched on it, just reiterating for anyone who might be listening or watching, um, kind of remembering the hope and that, you know, and that it is a journey and it is even though individuals might be struggling at this moment, uh, at this moment in time, or still have some struggles, that there's a lot of life to be lived. There's still a lot of beauty that can, they can spread through the world and to take advantage of each of those moments um, as they continue on their, as they continue on their journey. Um, that trauma is not the end. And for many, it's actually the beginning yeah. And a discovery, right? It's it's yeah. the beginning and it's a discovery of, of something new and things about themselves that they didn't even know were there. So to hold yeah. on to that. Beautiful. And and I'm just going to throw out another one and I because I wanted to come back to it and it went out of my head, but now it's back. <laughs> um, was at the beginning you had talked about, um, and I, again, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but like tr- growth after oh, trauma. Right. Post-traumatic yeah, growth. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Oh, sure. So post-traumatic growth is this concept that came out of uh, positive psychology in the late 90s. And it is the idea that individuals, many individuals, will, as they're going through uh, the journey of processing and and recovering and, and rebuilding their life after some traumatic event or traumatic events, many individuals will begin to report different ways or are new ways of looking at themselves and life that they did not have prior to the trauma. And they will attribute this kind of transformation that they experience directly to the trauma. That had this trauma not happened, they might not have reevaluated their lives. And there are areas that the, the research has discovered that many people um, kind of talk about being transformed in um, things like their priorities, their relationships with individuals or people, reconnecting to their spiritual source. Um, you know, finding a new passion. I actually teach a course in post-traumatic growth and I um, have students, once they learn uh, this concept of post-traumatic growth, to find, now that they know it, find individuals and have an assignment around them, identifying individuals who, although they might not use the word, will exemplify the the concept. So for example, in the class, I use uh, Candace Leitner. So people aren't really like, oh, that name sounds familiar. She's the woman who created Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Oh, yeah. Her eight-year-old daughter, I believe it was in the 70s when we had in the U.S., we had very limited drunk driving laws. Her eight-year-old daughter was walking home and there was a gentleman who had just been released 
from his latest DUI arrest. He had had multiple, was drunk behind the wheel, swerved, and actually killed her daughter on the road. Oh, my goodness. And I believe before that, she was either a secretary or a homemaker, one of the two. And it was the experience of losing her daughter to this drunk driver that uh, inspired her to become a lobbyist, to become an advocate, and to develop the largest organization committed to advocating and creating stronger laws against drunk driving. Wow. She's, you know, lobbying, went to Washington, D.C. lobbying. And so she'll, she, if you look at her older interviews, she'll talk about the pain still exists. So one of the most important tenets of post-traumatic growth is that uh, post-traumatic growth and the pain of trauma are not mutually exclusive, that individuals can feel and still experience both. It's not that the pain and the experience of the trauma goes away and now I've grown. It's that even in the midst of still processing or working through or being impacted through this trauma, there's something new in me that's also developing. Yeah. It's almost like the trauma is a catalyst Yes. Or, yeah. It, like an awakening happened. Right. Yeah. And so we, the the uh, prominent uh, two researchers are Calhoun and Tedeschi. Uh, they're the prominent, they've written a book, book called Post-Traumatic Growth. And uh, one of the things that the theory is that basically when you experience trauma, it kind of shatters your old assumptions about the world and yourself. And that part of processing through trauma is the rebuilding of that idea of self that was shattered. And it's through the rebuilding that there's something new that can develop or rise to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about quite a bit of in looking back on my traumas that as I process through them, that I found the gifts within the chaos. And, mm-hmm. and I did. It was like this collection of gifts that I found. Uh, I'm finishing up a book manuscript. So again, I give you kudos for writing a book and now a second one because it's a journey, let me yes. tell you. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and I've been doing it for years. And, you know, but, and I talk about, it, or each chapter set up. So I talk about a traumatic event from my, from my first 22 years of life. But then, and in each chapter, I'll talk about something that I found within that trauma, mm-hmm. it was strength or courage, yes. or that yes. there is yes. something to be found. Yeah. Yes, yes. And again, it's, you know, those ideas, that those kind of ideas of the self and perceptions of the self that you might not have consciously recognized or believed or internalized and saw. And then when you think about what you experienced and yeah. your ability to live now, to have life, to enjoy life, you find, wow, I'm stronger than I thought. I, you know, I'm, you know, there's more in me than I actually recognized to have lived through this, to have survived this to you know be able to move forward look at me yeah right look at me yeah which is so appropriate (laughs) (laughs) oh well beautiful and thank you for addressing that yes yeah thank you for bringing that up yeah Mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that up yeah I think it's something really important because so many people um do see a traumatic experience as an end point yeah. Not, you know, not a, a, a 
a new kind of beginning or a starting point for there to be a kind of an awakening or an awareness that wasn't there before. Yes. I love that you had said that, that it, it, it can be a beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes. All right. Well, I could talk to you for hours on end. <laughs> uh, Your brilliant insights and I love it. <laughs> this has been so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, again, I just, I've loved having you on here with me and so appreciate you again, sharing your insights and your wisdom. Um, Yeah, it's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been really great. Oh, good. Well, again, thank you. I'm going to do a quick little close out here and everyone, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Bye-bye.